When we read our Bibles, our disciples' Bibles, when we come across the word love, that's how it's translated in our English translation, but the Greek has many different words they use for love. But of course, we translate it with this, the one singular word, love, and we use it in all kinds of ways, right? Like, I love the Bengals. I love my wife. I love golfing. I love to scare people. Like, I really do love to scare people. And if you're really scared and it upsets you, normally I say something like this, I am so sorry I enjoyed that so much. Because <laughs> I do like it. But there are, again, there are different meanings to the word love when we come across it. So my hope today is to help you understand just two different Greek meanings of love that are used in the verses that we're going to look at. But in the Bible, when it talks about love, there's romantic love, there's love that means love for your family, there's brotherly love or friendship love, and then there's the highest form of divine love that God has for each and one of us, the perfect love. But again, in all of those Greek words that they use, we use the same word, love. And today we're going to talk about just two of those. Before we get in that, let's pray. God, just come right now by the power of your Holy Spirit. God, would you just remind us how much you love us? Even now, God, open up our hearts and our minds and our eyes and our ears for the love that you have for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, good morning, my name is Andy. If I haven't introduced myself and this is your first time here, thanks so much for joining us. We're glad you're here. And if you're watching online, we're glad you're here as well. 1 John chapter 3 is where we're headed. If you don't have a Disciples Bible and you want to get there, if you want to pull out your phones and go to your favorite Bible app, if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one in the back. Again, they're absolutely free. And online, daccbible.com, fill out that information, we'll get one in your hands. We're continuing our series one more week after this called Urgent, where the writers of these letters we've been looking at are really talking and speaking and writing with a sense of urgency, trying to urge the followers of Jesus to remember their calling, remember who Jesus was, not to fall for these false doctrines or false teaching, and put these things into practice urgently while they still have time. Those who walk in the light in 1 John is talking about this whole idea of light and darkness. And he says those who walk in the light, they're the ones that are listening and obeying. And they're the ones that God is just passionate about. They love him. But those that are walking in the dark, they're not obeying. They're living their own lives and their own ways. And they're in darkness. They're, they're apart from God. There's a gap. And then, God, uh, then John goes on to give lots of examples of light and darkness as you read through the first letter of John. John writes 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the Gospel of John. We're just going to spend time this morning in 1 John. Now the second half of this letter that John writes, he starts with the exact same wording that he used to start the first half of this, which this is the phrase he used. For this is the message you heard from the beginning. So let's jump into 1 John chapter 3, starting with verse 11, and see what he's starting to say as he moves on from this idea of light and darkness. He says, For this is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. Unlike Cain, we'll talk about who he is in just a second, who was uh, of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So love one another will be the theme, really, for the rest of the letter of 1 John. The English word, again, here is just translated love. But the Greek word for love here means to have great affection, care for, to have loyalty towards. So we could reread it 
with that in mind, we could say, for this is the message you've heard from the beginning, we should have great affection, a, a feeling or liking or caring for someone for one another. For this is the message you've heard from the beginning, we should care for one another. We should have loyalty toward one another. This is the kind of love that he's expressing here early in these verses. This is how we are to express this kind of love in our own lives. Caring for, loyalty to. Cain, that character that's referenced there, is used as an example of not loving. He had a brother, and he didn't even have this family love. His brother's name was Abel. There wasn't this kind of even affection for one another. And if you don't know the story, Cain and Abel were Adam and Eve's first two sons. They each brought this sacrifice to God. God accepted one and denied the other. Cain's was rejected by God. But God, through his grace and his mercy, tries to correct Cain and gives him another chance to do it right. He gives him that chance, but Cain doesn't listen. Instead, he takes things in his own hands and he kills his brother. That's why he's used an example here. Then John goes on to talk about hatred and love. He says, do not be surprised, brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love our brothers and sisters. The one who does not love remains in death. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. I think this kind of gets lost in translation in our current culture and time. I mean, how many of you have been hated just because of your belief in Jesus? Maybe some of you, maybe there are some people there. Hate here means to dislike strongly with the implication of aversion, aversion and hostility. So has anyone disliked you because of your faith in Jesus? This was especially true in the first century uh, believers. They, they were hated because they believed in Jesus. John's readers lived in Ephesus, former pagans, which means they didn't believe in who Jesus was, those who worshipped many gods, and they would have been involved in many evil activities, as he alluded to. And after becoming followers of Jesus, recognizing Jesus as the true Messiah, they no longer wanted to live that old lifestyle into those evil things. And when a person kind of stops doing some of the things that they used to do, but they're still hanging around some of the people they've always hung around with, it tends to make those kinds of people, A, maybe judge that person or start to question why they're doing those kind of things. And typically, when you're doing things you know you shouldn't be doing, that isn't a thought you really want to wrestle with. You want to continue in kind of that oblivious mindset and continue to do those things. I mean, has this kind of been true in your life? Have people seen changes in you where you were once doing things that you used to do and you start to pull away from those things? Are they judging you for it? Are they asking questions about you, maybe poking fun because you're not doing those things? Are they acting different around you? Maybe there are people in your life that you sense a little hostility that you didn't have before. I mean, I've certainly been judged. Some of you know my story. I came to faith, and for a couple of years, I had to completely remove myself from some friends because of the influence they had in my life. And when I re-entered that, certainly there was some poking fun, but I felt like I was strong enough in my faith that I could withstand some of that. And as a pastor, this happens to me a lot, as I have conversations with people that don't know I'm a pastor. They just meet me. And after five or ten minutes, the question comes up, what do you do for a living? And then when I say I'm a pastor, you can almost see them stop in mid-sentence and them replaying everything that they've said to me up to that point. 
And sometimes they'll even apologize. I'm like, well, Jesus didn't die, so you wouldn't cuss. Like, that's typically what people are apologizing for. Like, it's fine. I've said and heard much worse than you have, trust me, over the years. But I get this judge, this change of demeanor, and all of a sudden the conversations even shift and change. But don't miss what John said about love here. He says, we know we've passed from death to life because we love each other. We love each other. We're loving each other. We're caring for one another. One more point of clarity about this kind of love. It doesn't say we love one another because they loved us, right? It doesn't say that. It doesn't say we love one another because they do the right things or they say the right things, you know, because they don't gossip. That's why we love each other. It's because they're nice. This kind of love that John's speaking of has less to do with them and what they're doing and what they believe and has everything to do with who we are and what we believe and who we are in Jesus. Listen to how John puts it in the next verse. He says, everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. I mean, that's pretty strong language, right? Like, if you don't have, if if everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer, I mean, this would be really easy to give ourselves a pass on, right? Like, I don't hate somebody so much that, you know, I want to kill them, maybe, but, like, I don't have that kind of hatred, like, truly in me. So I'm not in this. But let's ask the question this way. Is there anyone in your life that you just don't care for, right? Are there times in your life you choose not to provide love or care when you could? Are there people that you don't find yourself doing caring things for because of who they are or what they do? See, the absence of love leads to hate. This is the hard part of living out our own faith in our own life. Culture says provide love or care for those that provide care and love to you. Do nice things to nice people. But listen to what Jesus has to say about this in the Gospel of Matthew. He says, If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are are not even tax collectors doing that, those that don't believe in Jesus? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more more than others? Do not even pagans do that? See, when we love others that love us back, we're not doing anything special. We're doing what culture would do. Even the worst of the worst love those that love them. We're only loving people back because of what we get for it. When we love those that love us back, we're not operating in the love that Jesus has modeled. We're not living a Jesus-centered life of love. Then John gives us a very clear picture of what a Christ-centered life of love looks like. He says, this is how we come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is how we've come to know love. The word love here is different than that first love that we talked about. This is a different Greek word that's love. This is the love we talked a little bit about uh, last week, agape love. It's divine love. It's the perfect love. It's the love Jesus has for us. It's the love that led Jesus to the cross, that he would lay down his life for ours. The perfect human, the perfect God, operated in that kind of love. 
Now, we hear this, if you've been around church for a while, and I wonder, me included, how much of this we truly grasp, this divine love that Jesus operated in to lay down his life for us. I mean, think about this. Have we become numb to this news, this reality? I mean, how many times have you watched a movie or maybe you've read a book or you've heard stories and we see that a father or mother, mother lays down their life to save their child, we're often moved to tears. Like, I'm an easy crier. Like, those things really impact me. When we hear these kinds of stories of somebody sacrificing their own life to save someone else's. And here we have a God who came down to us, a broken people, a sinful people, lived the perfect life that we couldn't. He was hated for it, and then he chose His sole purpose was chosen to love us into a relationship with him. He wanted to love people so passionately that they would have no choice but to love them back. A God who desperately wants people to know how much they're loved by him. And he willingly gives up his life. He laid it down, it said, for you and for me. I wonder how numb we've come to this. Like, of course, yeah, I know the story, right? Not on purpose. His whole purpose was just to love us, and he, he purposely gave up his life. Again, they didn't take it. Again, I don't think we become numb on purpose because we've heard this so many times, week after week. I mean, the reality is if next week somebody stood up here and said, hey, Andy's no longer with us. Something terrible happened, but he sacrificed his life for his own son. I mean, people would think I was a hero, right? Like, We were moved by these heroic efforts of people. This is what Jesus did. He's so much more than a hero. He's he's a savior. And we're called to follow his example, to lay down our life like he did, to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And John tells us exactly how to do that. He says, if anyone has this world's goods and sees a fellow believer in need but withholds compassion from him, how does God's love reside in him? Little children, let us love in word or speech. Not, let us not love just in word or speech, but in action and in truth. Again, love here is mentioned two times. The first love mentioned is God's love, the divine love, that perfect agape love. The second love is the practical love. Care for one another. Be loyal to one another. Show love. It says, if anyone has this world's goods. That certainly means worldly goods. Things that people need, right? Most of us have, whether we want to agree or not, have more than we need, right? So when we see a need that we can meet, John is saying, go meet that need. This is a way we can show love to one another. When we begin to live our lives with this in mind, and meet needs where we can, God often presents us with lots of opportunities to do just that. This is our way of making an impact for God, our way of freely giving away what God has given us. And I do mean give. Everything we have, everything I have, and everything you have is because of God's grace. It's ours to steward, not ours to have. It's not ours to own. And there is a difference. When we think it's ours and not God's, when we're not stewarding it but we own it, we're less likely to actually offer that over 
to somebody else because we think it's ours. It's mine, right? When we think it's ours and not God's, we're a little more stingy. And that impacts how we love one another. In a conference I was at several weeks ago, our, my coach walked us through a series of questions that I think impact how we love God and how we love one another. And this impact starts with us, and we have to come to the realization of where we are in our love with Jesus, how we view him, how we view our stuff. And then once we ask some of these questions, he's like, some of these you're going to know right away. Some of these you're going to have to process. Some of these you're going to have to wrestle with. And I think that's true. I'm still wrestling with it, as I'll talk about in just a minute. But I think some of the questions he asked then are pertinent now. And so, again, I'm going to ask some of these questions. And when I do, if you have your program and you can write some of these questions down, or maybe the answers to these questions, I think it would be a really good exercise. If you don't have a program, pull out your phone. Get your notes section ready. I'm going to ask a few questions. Some of these you're going to know the answer right away. Like, that's an easy one. I can answer it. I don't have to think about it much. Write it down. Some of these other ones, you're like, I don't know about that. Let me think about that one for a minute. So wrestle with that. Think about it for a minute. Write it down. You might, by the end of this, you might come to an answer. Others, you may have to wrestle with. And what I mean by that is like, I'm not really sure. i got to take this to God. i got to process with people that I trust. i got to wrestle with this. i got to pray through this. Some of them, you're going to have an answer right away, but you don't like the answer. You're like, ah, I know the answer, but I don't like my answer. And so you're going to have to wrestle with that one and pray through those. So I'm going to start with a few questions here. Are you ready? What level of love do you have for people? Not the people that love you back, people in general. Walk through your your normal day, your normal week. What level of love do you have for just all of those people you interact with? Is there anything preventing you from loving people more? Is there anything preventing you from loving? If so, what is it? There's something preventing you from actually exercising love more, providing loyalty or care for somebody. What is it? Is there a grudge you're holding against someone? Is there a grudge you're holding against someone? It could be a family member. We're heading into the holiday season. So think about your invite list or where you're going to go. Or the, like, is there a grudge there? Is, is, maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a neighbor or a small group member or a pastor or a leader or a volunteer. Like, who is it? Is there a grudge you're holding against somebody? Is there anything that's causing you? Is there anything that's causing you to be isolated from someone significant in your life? Is there anything that is causing you to be isolated from someone significant in your life? What is it? Why is it? What about this? Is there anything small, medium, or large that's keeping you distant or separated from God? Anything small, medium, or large, I'll give you some examples in a second, that's keeping you distant or separated from God. 
Is it your is it your lack of getting up in the morning and spending time? Like I would say, like that for me is a small like that's an excuse that I can find myself with. I'll do that later. And I found for me personally, if I don't do it in the morning, it's really hard to get back to. That's just me, right? I'm routined. So is your routine need to change? Is that keeping you distant or separated from God? Is it some sin in your life? You're like, I just don't want to go to Scripture. I don't want to spend time with God because I know what I'm doing is wrong, and I don't want to feel the conviction. Is it shame, maybe? You've done something, and you can't forgive yourself. The other people have forgiven you. They've moved on, but you just can't get over it. What is it? Is there anything small, medium, or large that's keeping you distant or separated from God? What do you sense, like right now, what do you sense right now that God wants you to do less of? What do you sense right now that you feel like God wants you to do less of? We've used a lot of examples over the last few weeks that could be something simple of less time on my phone, less time on the TV, less time sleeping. Like any, it could be anything. I don't know what, they're, what God's going to reveal. I don't know what you're sensing that God's revealing to you, but is there anything that you feel like right now that God says, hey, would you just do a little less of that? Just a little less. On the flip side, what do you sense right now that God wants you to do more of? What do you sense right now that God wants you to do more of? Like, hey, you've been journaling. That's Do more of that. I want to reveal some things to you. Is it spend more time in prayer? Is it volunteer more? Get into a small group. Spend more time preparing for that. To give more. Is it spend more time with your friends? I, I don't know. Again, this is between you and God. What, what do you sense right now that God's saying, hey, just do more of that. Continue what you're doing, but just do more of it. These last three questions specifically speak to what I was talking about earlier. The, the idea of something like owning us or we owning something or stewarding something. Something that's in our hands for a season. And that God's saying, hey, be good stewards of this. Some of it can be used for you, maybe more than we think. And others of it we need to be open-handed with. Here's the first one. Is there anything that you have? Is there anything that you have? That if God asked you to give it up, you wouldn't do it. Anything that you have, that if God asked you to give it up, you'd say, yeah, I'm not giving you that. Anything but that, God. He went through a lot of examples. I'm going to give some here. But one that kind of, obviously you guys know, I might like the Bengals a little bit, right? Like if he said, I went years. I was a Bengals season ticket holder for seven years, and then I had to make the choice of giving up those tickets because we went to two services where I was at. I could no longer get there in time. Um, that was easy because I had no choice, right? But I can get there now. Like, leave here, get there right at kickoff. But if God said, hey, just give those up, would I do it? I think I would, right? I say think because he hadn't asked me to do it. <laughs> but, like, that's just an example, right? Uh, we went 20-some years without owning a new car. And... Now we have a really nice, it's Telluride, 2022 Telluride. We love it. It's a great car. But what if God said, give that away. I want you to drive a beater. Would I do it? Like, again, like, I don't know. I, I hope so. 
That's what I hope for me. But is there anything that you have that if God asked you to give it up, you wouldn't do it? And it doesn't have to be those big things. It could be something really small that's like your favorite thing. I don't know what those are for you, but if he said, just give that away. Here's some examples. Material things. Cars I've talked about. What about phones? What do you say? Give up your new iPhone. I want you to use a flip phone for a season. Would you do it? What about your computers, your game systems, your golf clubs? What about your money? What if God said, I want you your next paycheck? I want you to give, or the money, the cash you have in your wallet or your purse, I want you to give that away this week. I don't know again. Like, it, again, it doesn't have to be a lot of money. It could be the 20 bucks you have. I don't know. What about clothing? God said, I want you to give up some of your clothes. I want you to simplify your wardrobe. Would you give that up? Purses, shoes. What about these? What about experiences? Me and my family, like last three or four years, we've been big on this idea of I'd rather have experiences with my kids and my, my wife than another thing, right? So we try to take some trips instead of buying something elaborate. Because I want these experiences with my kids. What if God said, give those up just for a season or give that one up, whatever that one is. What, what experiences do you have? Vacations, again, season tickets. Is it camping? Is it, is it sports that you're watching or involved in? Is it your kids' sports? Maybe it's a travel team. I don't, I don't know. But what if God said, whatever those things are for you, give that up. Would you do it? What about this one? Is there anywhere that God would ask you to go that you wouldn't go? Shared a little bit like the first mission trip I went on. My wife's like, you know, we're not going to move there, are we? Like, I was like, no, I don't feel called to go there, but I feel called as a follower of Jesus that we're called to help there, right? But specifically, is anywhere God would ask you to go that you wouldn't go? And this doesn't have to be across the world or across the country. This could mean across the street to that family. It could mean go across the hall this week to that person. Is there anywhere that God would ask you to go that you wouldn't go? Is there anything that you wouldn't do or stop doing if God asked you to? Is there anything that you wouldn't do or stop doing if God asked you to? I don't know. What are your, some of your favorite things that you do? What if God said, stop doing this? What if he asked you to do something like, I'm not equipped to do that? I can't do that. I, I don't, again, I don't know. Is there anything that you wouldn't do or stop doing if God asked you to? Again, some of these questions, you knew the answer right away. Some of them, you're like, i gotta, I got to wrestle with this one. i got to pray through it. Maybe even have a sense of where you think you were going to land on the answer. Some of them you may have answered and like, but I know that's not the right answer. I don't like, I don't like the answer. Like, take all these to God. Wrestle with them. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And how we answer those questions has a direct impact on how we love and trust God and how we express that love to others. 
how we've said yes to some of these things and no to some of the others has a direct impact to how we're going to express that love to others. I'll, I'll tell you this, I'm still wrestling with some of my answers. You know, I jokingly gave some examples, and, uh, but I'm still praying through, like, God, is there something you want me to give up? Is there something you want me to do more of? God, I, I want to be obedient to you, but you have to reveal these things. And the more we ask, I think the more he speaks. But how we've answered these has a direct impact to how we express that love to others. And before we wrap up this morning, I want to read verses 19 through 24 in 1 John 3. John says, Dear friends, if our hearts don't condemn us, we have confidence before God and receive whatever we ask from him because we keep his commands and do what is pleasing in his sight. Now this is his command, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commands remains in him, and he in him. And the way we know that he remains in us is from the spirit he has given us. It said, if we live our faith as followers of Jesus and and with Christ as centered in our lives, it will happen that our hearts can condemn us. But if it doesn't, then we can move on. Condemnation or conviction, as I like to say, Convictions from the Spirit of God. The enemy wants to shame and guilt us and leave us there. Woe is me. I'm terrible. God can't forgive me. The enemy wants to keep you trapped there. The Spirit of God will convict us and go, that was wrong, and I need to repent, turn from what I was doing, and turn back to God. That's what repent means. There are many ways that condemnation reveals itself. Maybe it's an overactive conscience. We just can't stop thinking of things. The realization that we don't love others as much as we should. It's Satan's false accusations of who he says we are, not who God says we are. And when we feel these things in the enemy's lies, whenever this happens, we have a choice. We can believe Scripture and God's Word and say, that's not true of me, that's who I was and not who I am, or we can live in that, that guilt and that shame. We can also do a different kind of litmus test. We can go, all right, let me see. How well am I loving God and loving others as I'm hearing these things or I'm being convicted by God? And that test is how well I'm loving God is expressed in how well I'm loving others by by our actions, not just by our words. We can look to our actions and know whether or not we're living in the truth of who God says he is and who he says we need to be. Now, we cannot earn our way to salvation through good works, right? Our good works, the things we do, are an indication of our love for God and others, though. We can be confident in God's presence in our lives by reminding ourselves that God's love has been active in our lives and through our lives, and so we can, too, be active in that love by expressing it and helping others. And when we feel guilt and shame, we can, again, remind ourselves that God knows our true motives. He knows our true heart. He knows who we really are. And he also knows our actions. God's voice of assurance is stronger than the accusing voice of our conscience and the enemy. God will not condemn his children for whom his son has laid down his life. 
And this is our pursuit. This is our process. This is how our lives look and how our lives are seen as loving. And John spends the rest of the letter reiterating this over and over. If we love God, then we will love others. If, then. So here's what I, my challenge to all of us is let's be known by our love. Let's be the most loving people in our circles. Let's be the most loving people at our office. Let's be the most loving person at our school. Let's be the most loving person in our home. That doesn't mean yes to everything, by the way. Let's be the most loving person at the grocery store, at Target, at the restaurant. Let's love well. Let's, let's love well because we were first loved perfectly by the one who's defined as love. And that's Jesus. Grab your Connect cards that Allie spoke of. And if you haven't filled that out, or at least your name, I encourage you to do so. I believe by simply filling that out, you're more likely to spend time doing or thinking or praying about this next step. Because we believe everybody has a next step in their relationship with God. I'm going to offer you four. You may have one that's different than mine. Write that in the uh, next step section. Drop it in the offering when it goes by in a few minutes. We'll follow up where it's appropriate. The first next step is this. Accept Jesus for the first time. God is love. And again, I, I explained that he, he laid down his life for you and for me. It's the perfect love. That's how he wants to love you, perfectly. He wants to love you so much that he begins to change you from the inside out. Not to some robot, but in the only way that he can, in the way he's created you, in your perfect personality, because we're all uniquely created, he doesn't want to take your personality away. He wants to use your personality to reach others, to express that perfect love through your own wiring. And if you've made that decision today, mark that on your Connect card, drop it in the offering. Make sure you grab a Bible and some resources. And we want to follow up with you. You're not meant to do this all by yourself. The second one is this. Pray for God to expand our love for others. God can do that. We need to pray for that. While we purposely choose to love well, now through God's mercy, grace, and power. It's the both and of our faith. We're going to ask God to increase our love while we actively pursue working out that love. The third is receive prayer. There are lots of ways you can receive prayer. You can write your prayer requests on the back of this Connect card, drop it in the offering. You can utilize that prayer wall in the back. Again, you use the tag, you write out your prayer request. If you want everybody to pray for it, leave it so everybody can read it. You just want the staff and the prayer teams, make sure that writing's facing that wall, and we'll pray for those things. You can email us at prayer at blueashcc.com. And of course, I think the best way to receive prayer is to come up in person. We'll have prayer teams up here on my right in the back left-hand corner. Um, we did a prayer kind of training last week, more of the prophetic prayer training, where it's sharing and revealing God's heart to others. And this happens every week here at church. Our prayer teams are equipped to to try to listen to what God might have to say to you. So you may not even have a prayer request. You may just come up and go, I just, I just want prayer. And we'll just ask God to reveal himself. And we're going to trust that he will. 
But maybe you have a specific prayer request. Maybe you have something that's gone great. There's an answer to prayer. We'd love to praise you, praise with you in that. We'd love to hear where God is moving. Whatever you have prayer requests for, please don't let that fear keep you from experiencing what God may have for you. And the last is our memory verse. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Spend time. Write that down every morning. Get into the word till the word gets in you. We're going to go ahead and receive our offering. If you want to drop your connect cards in there, and any offering that you may have, and if you want to get your communion elements, we do this again almost every Sunday as a reminder, not just of what Jesus did, as it said so beautifully, he laid down his life. I love that language, again, because it's, it's purposeful. He did it. They didn't make him do anything, but he did it. He, his body was broken for you and for me, and his blood was shed for you and for me as an expression of that perfect divine love. So when we take communion, we're reminded not that he just did that, but that love is now in each and every one of us. And it can flow out of us because it's in us. Let me pray. God, thank you so much. Thanks for these letters from John and these encouragement to, to love one another as you've loved. The example that you gave with your life. God, I would pray that you'd come right now by the power of your Holy Spirit and just pour out your love. Remind us. Remind us of the love that led you to the cross. That you loved us so much that you willingly gave your life up so that we could experience true life. God, let, let this not just be a story that we know, but one that we live. So God, move, change us. Help us to leave here a little more like you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You're free to sit or stand and receive prayer.